Well, thank you for blessing the house with the little Mozart there. We're grateful. Good morning, friends, and welcome to our 945 service on this, the 24th Sunday after Pentecost. Goodness, time's flying. Advent will be here in no time at all. Uh, welcome to those of you in the room, many more joining us online. Welcome to those of you visiting with us. I look around, some of you, I don't know you, or we're getting to know you. Thank you for coming. We are really honored. You could have done many other things this morning, but you came here, uh, and we're grateful. Uh, there's a way that Taylor will tell you in a minute to uh, register your attendance so we can uh, know that you're here, get some contact information, and reach out to you. Uh, but just know how honored we are that you're here. My name is James Howell. And I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Taylor Pride Barefoot. Good morning. It's so good to be in worship with you all today. Uh, as Dr. Howell noted, we have uh, hospitality pads that are on the inside of the pew, and we encourage you to pass those along. There's also a QR code uh, so you can let us know online if you are joining us. Uh, as we said, the holidays are quickly approaching, uh, so we want you to pay attention to what's going on in the life of the church as we prepare for Advent. There's lots of new things in your bulletin. Um, there's one thing that we want to draw your attention to in particular. As we prepare for Thanksgiving, we have a Thanksgiving table tithe, uh, which are $50 gift cards to Harris Teeter that we would love for you all to bring to the church uh, so we can continue to support that ministry. Let us continue on in worship together.
Let us continue to raise our voices as we joyfully proclaim our, what we believe in the Apostles' Creed, which is found in our bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let us pray our prayer of confession in the safety of our church. Gracious God, we carry anger in our hearts we cannot release. Our past regrets continue to shame us with pain. Scarcity binds our hearts from generosity and growth. Give us courage to choose you in the face of temptations. Set us free for joyful obedience and faithful witness. Open us to a future of peace, hope, and love with you. Amen. Church, hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory, Glory to God. Amen.
The Old Testament reading is Joshua chapter 24, beginning with the first verse. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all of the people, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. But the people said to Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves. Then put away the foreign gods which are among you, and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Ellen, thank you for this uh, reading. I love this um, moment when Joshua says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My favorite book about marriage, by the way, is by a guy named uh, Walter Wangren. It's entitled, As for Me and My House. It's a book that's funny, uh, thoughtful. I love it. Uh, this moment takes place um, at Shechem, the, the Valley of Shechem. Uh, in June, I had the great privilege of taking our graduating high school seniors to the land of Israel, and I took them where I don't often take groups, to the top of Mount Gerizim. It's hard to get there. We got there, and we looked down to that uh, there in Samaria. We looked down to the valley of Shechem, and we read aloud this passage. And uh, I said to the seniors about to embark on the rest of their life in college and so on, I said, uh, this text reminds us that you got to make a decision. you got to make a lot of decisions with respect to God. What does it mean to make a decision for God? And we might think of uh, you're at a revival service, you say, I, I accept Christ. He's the one, he from now on will be the axis around which my life turns. I believe in God. It might be a lifestyle, ethics kind of decision. I'm going to behave in a certain way because of this decision. Uh, it might be the decision we've been talking about recently to work on your spiritual life, to build an intimate relationship with God instead of church just kind of being a casual once in a while thing. It's a lot of little decisions. It's big decisions. I love the humility that's tucked inside this passage. Did you hear it? The people say, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua says, you cannot serve the Lord. Like, what a comeback. What he's saying to them is like, you're going to mess up. You're going to try. And at points you will, you will fail. Sometimes, uh, I would add, the failure is uh, more spectacular than at other times. Uh, the other night, uh, Lisa read to me a passage from, uh, she's reading this novel called Lessons in Chemistry. There's a TV series on this now. And uh, Harriet is Elizabeth's neighbor, uh, and they're talking one day. And uh, so Elizabeth asked Harriet, do you believe in God? She says, well, yes. She says, why? She says, well, I just do. Most people do. Elizabeth says, well, my mom doesn't. Harriet says, I know, trying to hide her disapproval. <laughs> Harriet thought it was wrong not to believe in God. In her opinion, believing in God was just required, like brushing your teeth or wearing underwear. You have permission to laugh at this service, wearing underwear. Certainly, all decent people believed in God. Even indecent people, like her husband, believed in God. God is why they were still married and why their marriage was a burden to bear, because it was given to her by God. God was big on burdens, and he made sure everybody got one. Besides, if you didn't believe in God, you also didn't get to believe in heaven or hell. And she very much wanted to believe in hell, because she very much wanted to believe that Mr. Sloan was going there. And it continues. 
made me think about a couple. Uh, they've died. I knew them years ago. They were in my church. Uh, and uh, the man, one day, tearfully, he said to me, I'd like to tell you about uh, my wedding night. I said, I, I'm not really sure I wish to know about your wedding night. So what I'm going to tell you anyway, he said, it was time to go to bed. And she knelt by the bed and said, we will pray before we get into the bed. And he said, every night of our married life, we have knelt by the bed and prayed. Before in bed. And then he said, every morning when we wake up, the first thing we do before we get out of bed is we read the upper room devotional. I was moved by this, but not for long, because I kept thinking about this guy. I knew him and his wife well. They were both mean as hornets. <laughs> the kind of people you see him coming, you duck for cover. You cannot serve the Lord. Joshua is so interesting. The people are gathered there. Uh, they've come into the promised land, and Joshua says, you really have three choices. This is interesting. You have three choices. You can serve the gods of your ancestors. You can serve the gods of this land, or you can serve the Lord. Interesting. You serve the gods of your ancestors, the gods of this land, or you can serve the Lord. Well, what would it mean to serve the gods of your ancestors? I've told you, if you've been around with me very long, uh, I love to talk about my beloved grandparents, Mama and Papa Howell. They were just fabulous people. I got to spend a huge amount of time with them. They were tender. They were loving. They were fabulous, uh, holy people, prayerful church people. But I thought about this recently. I can't travel back in time and interview them, but I kind of wish I could because, you see, they were people who lived in the first half of the 20th century in the rural South as white people. So I could go back and ask them, what do you think about black people? I, I don't know what they would say. They lived in a part of North Carolina where in their adult lifetime there were lynchings nearby. Did they know about this? Did they rescue anybody? I don't know. I'd love to go back and tell them, uh, what do you think about this? Your uh, great-granddaughter is a preacher. Like, what would they think about that? They were Southern Baptists in the rural South back in the 40s and 50s. They might have said, mm, that's just not right women preachers. Now, if they thought any of these things, I do not fault them for any of it. They were creatures of their time. We all are creatures of our time. They were as holy as they were able to be. My premise always is that uh, when we die and we get to heaven, this applies to all of us, when we die and get to heaven, uh, it, it's not the case that you will get there and God will say, you got everything spot on right. Instead, you'll get there and God will say, you were right about these things, but there's some other things. Man, you were so off target and you thought you were so right and you'll see the light and you'll think, oh, how could I have whiffed on that one so badly? We'll all do this and I still think they're up there, they're rooting for us, right? They're rooting for us to do better than they did, to understand the things that they misunderstood. Joshua says, put behind the gods of your ancestors. Then he says, put away the gods of this land. It's easy to chide people who bow down to the vapid, vulgar, and even violent deities of our land. It's not hard. There's so much in the culture that's just so, ah, just makes you ill. Uh, but I've been pondering uh, one as two, two aspects, actually, uh, of our culture lately. Uh, One's easy to talk about, one's hard to talk about. Here's the easy one, uh, education. I recently read an essay by Marilyn Robinson. Marilyn Robinson's a great novelist. She wrote the novel Gilead that won a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, my favorite of her books is called Housekeeping. She's just fabulous. I read an essay, though, that she wrote uh, recently that begins like this. I miss civilization and I want it back. What she's saying is that she said, she wrote another book, said, when I was growing up, I read books. She's saying, now kids grow up, they don't really read books so much. They got gadgets, right? And she says, education has become monetizable and productive. I was talking to a college president a while back. This is so interesting. And he was boasting to me 
Uh, he said, we have changed our entire educational model. He said, we used to have students read great books. He said, we don't do that anymore. He said, now we teach students the skills they need to have a job when they get out of school. And I get that. I have kids learn to get a job when they get out of school. But I asked him, I said, you know, through most of history, the point of university education was to help young people to become wise. What are you now doing at your school to help students to become wise? He kind of blew off this question. Marilyn Robinson is interested in the humanities. She wrote this, now we are less interested in the exploration of the glorious mind and more engrossed in the drama of staying ahead of whatever we think is pursuing us. The spirit of our time is one of, I love this phrase, joyless urgency. We are preparing ourselves and our children to be means to economic servitude. Ouch. There's this anti-intellectual strain even in Christianity. <laughs> I went to a high school reunion recently, and I was chatting with my buddy Marvin. First time I saw Marvin at a high school reunion, we hadn't seen each other in a long time, and he told me what he was doing down in Atlanta. And then he said, now, James, what are, what are you doing for a living? I said, Marvin, I'm, I am a preacher. And he said, oh, no, that's a shame. I said, why is that a shame? He said, well, just in high school, you were so smart. <laughs> How to process this. There's a peculiar smartness, though, to the Christian life that has something to do with Marilyn Robinson wanting people to read great books and explore the life of the mind. Christianity is about great books. It's about stories of old heroes. It's about taking time not to be productive. It's not monetizable. We just know how to be still and how to be with God and have our mind blown and maybe to become wise and maybe to become holy, to be the kind of people who can be quiet. Speaking of being quiet, here's the second thing that's harder to talk about. Marilyn Robinson is very disturbed by the way the adjective Christian has been hijacked in our culture. And she suggests it has been hijacked by people on the far, far right said, they make a lot of noise, and if you hear the word Christian nowadays, it's from those guys. She said, on the far left, they make a little racket, but not much. She says, those of us who are in the center, those of us who are mainline, I love the way she puts it, those of us who are uncantankerous, <laughs> she says, we're strangely quiet, and she thinks we shouldn't be quiet. You know the kind of Christianity that I'm talking about. We see it all the time. It's sneering. It's cocky. It's judgmental. It's smug. It's more vulgar than virtuous. Our country may decide to be X, Y, or Z, but please don't call it Christian <laughs> if it is these things. If it is these things. Uh, this version of Christianity, uh, it's all about being tough. It's about... Um, not helping the poor, but blaming the poor. It's about fear of foreigners. It's about, it's about all this stuff. I mean, you, you know this. Marilyn Robinson wrote this. I'm moving toward the conclusion that these Christians, if they have ever read their Bibles, are not much impressed by what they find there. See, if you read the Bible, you find out these very interesting things, and she prompted me to rethink some things, and I looked it up, I did the research. So here's, here's the thing, the poor, <clears throat> the poor are never once in the Bible blamed or vilified, not once. Foreigners, strangers are never detested in the Bible. In the Bible, they are welcomed. You walk alongside those foreigners. The, uh, the Bible says, this is so interesting, if you have the world's goods and see someone in need, but close your heart against him, how can you say God's love abides in you? Jesus says you love the Samaritan. Jesus says you turn the other cheek. Jesus talks about swords, and he seems not fond of swords, but there's a Christianity today that says, oh, Jesus would be armed with automatic weapons, and he would arm his disciples with automatic weapons as well, and things would go better for them. Really? 
really. Brown Robinson ponders the fact that Jesus says the first will be last, and that he says judge not, and that Jesus hung out with and seemed to like prostitutes, tax collectors, all the people that nobody else liked in those days. Here's what she says. We have it on good authority that prostitutes and sinners might well enter heaven before us. It is difficult to respond to this with a heartfelt amen if one has found comfort in despising people in whom Christ clearly finds great value. I warn you regularly, and I'll continue to do so against your political ideology, it is the great idolatry of our day. Instead of worshiping the true God, most in our society choose their political ideology. That's where they vest their emotion. It's where they think true life actually will come. If my party just can win, if my party just can get ahead, then life will dawn. Then everything will be good. And I warn you that, that your ideology will only disappoint. It will only make you angry and fearful, and it is not of God. And there's so much in our political ideologies that's not as God, and I started making a list, and I realized if I talked about them all on both sides of political ideology, we'd be here at about 5 o'clock, and you'd be way past hungry for a lunch. There's just so many things, but I, I chose one today, and I hope you'll uh, allow me to talk about this. I've been thinking about it a lot, and it bothers me, and it's a bipartisan thing. I'm going to talk about gerrymandering. Most recently, in the state of North Carolina, the Republicans have been gerrymandering voting maps. But it's a bipartisan thing. Democrats had their day of gerrymandering voting maps. If you think about a gerrymandered voting map, we got them all over the place. If you show it to a child and try to explain it to them, it, ma it makes them scream, just like. <laughs> Children look at this, it's like, it looks like a salamander or something, and a child would say, why did they do that? I thought, of, I thought of a gerrymandered political map as a Rorschach test. You know how they put an ink blot and you look at it and you say, oh, it's this? If you look at a gerrymandered political map as a Rorschach test, you look at it and you say, mm, I think that is corruption. I think that is corruption. God does not gerrymander. God does not look down and say, I'm going to draw a line, and I'm going to include these guys, but I'm going to exclude those people. I'm going to draw a line, and these people will be blessed, but those people will have to do without. I'm going to draw... God does not gerrymander, and we should not... It's a character question. It's not a political question. We should not be the kind of people who will tolerate this. The Christians who founded this country wanted a representative democracy, they wanted a balance of powers. The Christians who founded this country did not want too much power concentrated in the hands of any one person. Not in any one person. Christian. Christian. Joshua says, choose the Lord. What would it mean put away the gods of this land and put away the gods of the ancestors and said, choose the Lord. We have to go back to those scriptures and we have to read them and it's not up to us to decide if we like it or not, <laughs> if we agree with it or not. It's not up to us to look at Jesus and say, I think Jesus is actually wrong or I think Jesus today would be so different from the, I, that's not ours. We choose the Lord. What that mean? We want to think in ways that are true. We want to think in ways that honor God. We want to think in ways that allow us to fulfill the mission that God has set before us. It's not about my bias. It's not about what I prefer or like. It's not about what works to my advantage. If the scriptures are any key, we should be the people who are not only willing but eager to sacrifice our good for the good of someone else. It's a Bible thing. Consider what God has done. God did not erect a meritocracy. God did not gerrymander a world where some people are right and some are wrong, some are in, some are out, some are loved, some are loathed. God sent Jesus. He showed us how to be, how to choose, how to live in sync with God. Jesus came to show us a holiness that is humble, a holiness that is generous, a holiness that never sneers, 
or judges anybody. Jesus came to show us a holiness that we've always got our antenna up and we're attentive to when fear is driving us because when fear drives us, nothing good happens. And we remember that with God, we have good cause not to fear, not to be afraid. And therefore, we can be good. We can be kind. We can be wise. We can celebrate beauty. Jesus shows us a holiness that is curious. Jesus shows us a holiness that is kind to everybody. That's not quite true. Jesus could get unkind. And he got unkind with the smug people who were so righteous and knew how to pass judgment on everybody else, how to withdraw the generous hand from people. Jesus came to show us a holiness that is, I think this is the right word, that is so that we can be brave instead of tough. Those aren't the right words, but you know what I mean. God wants us to be brave, but does God want us to be tough? I don't know. In closing is this. Uh, I've said for a long time, uh, my friend Sam Wells, who's the rector of St. Martin in the Fields in London, wrote a book years ago that I love where he said the most important theological word in the Bible is with, and I, I stay with him on that. The Bible doesn't say God is a genie that you know, does your wishes. God is in a protective bubble. God is with us. That Christmas is coming. Jesus' nickname is Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us, and then we are to be with God, and we are to be with others. We're not to be against others. We are to be with others. Sam's got a good point, but I want to write him a note and say I have a second candidate for the most important theological word in the Bible. Maybe it's tied with yours. <laughs> and that word is all. All. Check it out. How often the Bible's talking about whatever, the goods of this world, fairness, justice, food, water, anything. In the Bible, the word, it's for all. It's for all. God wants all to have the goods of this world. God wants all to have a good education. God wants all to have whatever it is that the world has to offer a blessing. It's not for some. It's not for our insider. I'll close the story. Uh, that is a recollection of this. When I was a young man, I was driving out in the country somewhere in eastern North Carolina. I was hungry, and I noticed this diner by the side of the road. So I pulled in. I was the only customer sitting on a stool, the owner, the cook, whatever he was. He was a gregarious, funny guy. We're chatting. He makes me a sandwich. It's good. Second customer comes in. He is still studying his menu when a third customer comes in. But I was white. The cook was white. The first customer was white. But this customer was black. And when he came in, this jovial cook became a little more somber, and he looked at him and he said, you know the drill. Tell me what you want, and I'll bring it around back to you. And the guy meekly walked around. Second customer puts his menu down and stands up to leave. And the cook says, where are you going? You haven't even ordered yet. The guy said, I'm leaving. He said, why are you leaving? He said, if everybody ain't welcome, ain't nobody welcome. That's kind of Jesus' thought, isn't it? There's a brand of Christianity that breaks God's heart, and it should break ours, sneering, tough, for just some, not all. Friends, we should say no to this. We should speak up and be the Christians that God asks us to be. It's about being holy. It's about being good. It's about being biblical. <laughs> it's about um, all. Thanks be to God. Let us go to God in prayer. God of all peoples, we rejoice that you have gathered us here, that you have called each of us by name, and we do not remain just as ourselves. 
we form a beautiful community. It's a blessing to know we have this space together where we all come with our own fragilities, our securities and our insecurities, our discomforts and our comforts of being in your presence. And as we all sit here, we give thanks and know that you are with us, knitting us wonderfully together. Lord, in your mercy. God, we are so thankful for your merciful heart. Many times we forget, neglect, and obscure our perspective on how to serve you. We fall short on doing your will and your ways. In those moments, forgive us and heal us of our narrowed views and short-sighted perspective that err on benefiting ourselves rather than all, as you would have us do. Lord, in your mercy. Aching God, envelop our hearts with the compassion and tenderness that is you. We pray for your tenderness to be enacted through the ways we engage, interact, and navigate our social connections. May we, through this way of living, change one person, one neighbor, ourselves, one neighborhood, one community, one county at a time. And we continue to ache and long for peace beyond our reach as well knowing that your spirit can impact and change even the hardest of hearts. We lift specifically this morning Israel, Gaza and Palestine, Ukraine, our southern border. We lift dehumanizing systemic matters that lower someone's worth when we are to raise one another's worth. Lord, in your mercy. God, we lift those whom are struggling with illness, body aches, heart aches, and spiritual aches. May we offer comfort for those who suffer, peace for the conflicted, and ease for the anxious and distressed. Lord, in your mercy. God of all peoples, you have heard our prayers the spoken and unspoken. We offer them in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray together as a beautiful mosaic family saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Church family, as we continue this time of worship, of giving ourselves and our tithes and offerings, as the ushers come forward, we just celebrate the gift of our congregational care and health ministries. Right now, in the basement of our church, we have a blood drive going on. If you did not sign up, that's fine. You can leave here after this worship service and donate life. Give generously.
illuminating God, take us as a church to the places where there are shadows so that we might bring light of hope and joy where we can eradicate the shadows. Being the faithful people that we are, let us say yes to your leading. In Jesus' name, amen. now may the grace of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us, both now and forevermore.